0: good evening welcome to the relaunch pirates fan forum here on dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network i'm your host gary morgan with me always co-host jim stam um we're not going to spend a bunch of time patting ourselves on the back here for some of you This is the first time you're listening, but most of you heard the show before, you know, a whole bunch of you anyway. Um, I will say, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about prospect development on this show, and the show itself is an example of that, really. I mean, six months ago, this show was a prospect after conversations with Dayon, and we developed it into a Pirates dedicated show that so many of you have already participated in, and we just can't wait to keep more and more of you coming in. We now got our man Eddie over here producing it, making us sound better, hopefully making us look better because that's I mean, a tough one. Yeah, that's pretty rough, but uh, the show is not a love fest. For those of you that are new, it's not a bash session. It's a show centered around real fans who care and want to have real discussions about baseball. And sometimes we're going to have guests on and, I don't think they're going to be like um, your normal everyday guest spots. I mean, I'm not going to be just picking their brains for expertise. I want I want their opinions to come out of them more naturally, and there's nobody better to start with than today's guest, Josh Taylor. Um, you know him from the 97 th- uh, 93.7 The Fan, and uh, he's a sports anchor on KDK TV2, nightly sports call on The CW, author of the 2018 Pirates Guide. Been I mean, the guy's done pretty much everything. Pirates Andy used to be on BuckoCast, Cast if you remember that. Um, say hello, Josh. How you guys doing? Been a while. Good. And Jim, hey, say hello. Anything you want to add to that?
1: No, listen, man, this is cool. Um, I'm ready to uh get this thing going. And uh the good news is we're on YouTube. The bad news is we're on YouTube, so <laughs> um, you know. But uh, Josh will, Josh will uh, class that up for us today. And, man, this is the first time I'm getting to meet you, man. So I'm just, I'm just glad we're just going to be able to just get to know each other. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts today.
0: Yeah, that's why it's It's
2: good to talk to you. It's good to that's talk to both on. you guys. It's
0: baseball is his thing, and I, I love listening to him talk. It's, it's great fun. Um, so I thought first segment's kind of short. We try to keep it around eight, eight to ten minutes. So I wanted to start with something I think is pretty easy, which is coaches on the hot seat i think they got rid of the one that was i mean any others that you guys can think of i mean we've heard a lot of people criticize oscar marin but it's too early to pull the trigger on him isn't it i mean yeah thoughts I, thought, on that?
2: I, I thought rick Eckstein was probably the one that everybody if you had a, a a pirates coaches to depart first pool rick Eckstein was probably at the top oscar marin was probably there too it's harder for me to fault oscar marin than it is for me to fault Rick Eckstein only because, you know, it's, it's hard to try to coach what's not there. You know, it's hard to try to coach talent that's lacking. I don't think that anybody that's looking at a pitching staff with Stephen Broughton in it in a part-time capacity with Chad cool in it in a part-time capacity as both a starter. And then now as a reliever with a Mitch Keller, that just does not seem to put two good starts together I don't see any pitching coach having this kind of situation, this kind of setup with a revolving door of pitchers coming in constantly throughout the course of the season saying, hey, that guy's not doing his job. It's really hard for me to fault one guy when, you know, you're you're trying to make a soup with the ingredients probably not matching what you're trying to make in your cuisine. So, you know, yeah, I think Oscar Marin probably is the next and probably in most people's minds more logical choice, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily fair based on what he has to work with. I mean,
0: that's probably the way I look at it, too, realistically. But, you know, Jim, we've talked a lot, too, about Oscar Marine. At some point, don't you have to make somebody better? I mean, at some point, don't you want somebody to make dumplings out of chicken scratch?
1: You, you would like to see that. I mean, we see it in little spurts with guys, right? And then it seems like they go back to some of their old habits. And, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a bumpy road. Um, I, I, I agree with Josh in the sense of it's, it's so hard when you're in this stage of a rebuild and you're asking coaches to work with a lot of guys that just probably aren't up to snuff, um, as far as being major league material, but you can point to certain guys and certain players and say, okay, we're not seeing it there. And we would hope that you would. And unfortunately, you know, Marine's going to be attached to the hip with Mitch Keller, I think.
0: I don't see any way around it.
1: You know, and that is the one that, um, boy, if he doesn't get that straightened out, and right now my confidence on a daily basis is lessening there, I think think we're going to be having this conversation again.
0: I mean, we're going to touch on the pitching staff a little bit more as we keep Moving forward, but something I kind of wanted to throw out to everybody is maybe it's not about moving on from Marin. I think it's probably early, but what about getting a traditional assistant back in here? They haven't had one since Benedict left. You know, I know they have Justin Message, but he's a bullpen coach too, which means he's not there like with the starters the same way he is with the relievers. Maybe they need another voice in the room. I always hate putting my entire bet on one square you know if I played craps I think I'd bet even or odd. it's
2: like betting betting red or black and roulette but to your point I mean previously Oscar Moran was that guy in that assistant role before he kind of got moved into the bigger role so that's another thing to keep in mind and I, I don't think you're wrong about that I think it's also one of those things where if you're Ben Charrington you're probably trying to find that one guy that fits with the younger pitchers that are coming up because previously Oscar Marin was that guy who fit in with the younger pitchers that were coming up at a previous time. So yeah, if you're looking to go by that formula, like a lot of GMs and a lot of executives tend to do, then there's probably a candidate or two out there. That would be fair. Um, in, In my personal estimation, the thing that we've seen the most throughout the years with organizations that have totally overhauled, not only just one area of the game, but entire organizations as a whole, I think the one thing we found is that they've told pitchers, hey, find the one thing that you do well and do that thing over and over again and do that thing more often than everything else. And we're talking back to John Schurholz, you know, what, 30 years ago in Atlanta? Yeah. He got to Atlanta and told some of the pitchers, what's your best pitch? Oh, it's this one. All right, we'll throw that one more often. Sometimes it was a small a small adjustment like that. And over the whole, we've seen that. with We've seen it with Atlanta. We saw it with Houston, you know, within the last – decade or so, we've seen those organizations that have had that success, especially overhauling talent saying, Hey, find the one thing you do well and improve upon it. They need to find a coach that's able to identify that one thing and help them move in that direction. Now, as I say that, there are some guys on this pitching staff that haven't identified that one thing. So (laughs) that's, that becomes an issue.
1: That's a problem.
2: And, and, And maybe that's where that second coach comes in. And I'm glad you mentioned Jim Benedict because I hear people with this whole, for some odd reason, people in this town, and it's not just Pyro fans. It's, I think it's Pittsburgh in general. We love to make dichotomies of this guy versus this guy. We do it with Sidney Crosby versus Evgeny Malkin. We've done it with Ben Roethlisberger versus Antonio Brown. Granted, that tended to manifest itself, but that's beside the point. But there's been this whole <laughs> Jim Benedict um, versus Ray Searich thing, and I don't understand it. If anything, I felt that tandem worked the best together. Because one had one role and the other one had the other one. Right. Like Jim Benedict was the was the diagnostician, if you will, and then Ray Seirich was the specialist that treated it. You know, Benedict found the leaks and Seirich plugged the holes. One was able to find things from a from a diagnostic, okay, this is the problem standpoint, and Seirich was able to say, okay, this is how we'll fix this specific issue. When you split that team up, you saw things start to change. I think if they're able to get back to that. Have one guy that diagnoses the problem, have another guy that treats it, and then maybe another guy that follows up. If you're able to get back to that dynamic, I think you'll see the improvement again.
0: I like that too. And before we we go as far back as Ray Miller and start talking about pitch fast, Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump back in a little bit more on the rotation because I'm pretty interested in that as a dynamic. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Again, we're joined by Josh Taylor and Jim Stan. but I'm going to get a little more involved this time. I like to talk a little bit about the 2022 rotation because I think that's one place where we're going to, A, learn an awful lot about Ben Charrington's philosophy. B, I think we're going to really start to understand a little bit more about the prospects they do value versus don't. Because it's really easy to toss out there that you want to go get two or three veterans to make this team a lot better next year. I don't think you could even argue that that would make it a lot better next year. But Jim, there's about 11 guys that that have a true stake claim possibility at being in this rotation next year. How do you make the determination between developing prospects and not stalling them out versus instantaneous making the team a little bit better.
1: Yeah, you know, it's tough because you look at next year, and like you said, there's there's more than a handful of guys that they could consider for this for this starting rotation. Um so that can be a good problem or it's a problem that you've got too many guys and you don't know who to pick from. Um, and it's gonna have to be performance based at some point. Um you've got look, you know, they're in a position where you're st- you've got guys like Will Crow. I think that they're not sure about yet that they're trying to let him kind of develop and learn on the fly. You're obviously going to, are we going to be having the Stephen Brault conversation again? They're trying Chad cool in the bullpen now. Um, and maybe that's where he's going to be if he's, if he's even here. So um, I think you can, you can pencil in a guy like Bryce Wilson right now. And then after that, there's a lot of, um, you know.
0: I mean, to me, I and Josh, I'll toss it over to you after this, but I look at the rotation. Bryce Wilson's a lock to me. You know, he should be. He's, he's <laughs> performed well since they picked him up. He's arguably got more experience than almost everybody else in the, that they have, which is frightening.
1: Yeah, that's hard to believe, but you're right.
0: But he has to play. I see no earthly way that Mitch Keller doesn't. I just, if you, he's going to learn nothing in AAA next year. I I see him getting a half season, almost regardless of what else they do.
1: Unless he bombs in spring training. And, and, and I mean, bombs, bombs where they can't even foresee a path to putting him in the rotation. But, it would have God, to be pretty not. epic. Yeah, it
0: really would. But you have like what Steven Brault that, I mean, if he's here, he's a lock. I don't want to see JT Brubaker not go back out to start. I think he got dead arm this year because he maxed out his innings. So I'm not ready to flush him. But if you bring in two veterans, at least one of those four isn't going to pitch. Now, this year we saw them use like a thousand and fifteen pitchers. But Josh, you know, next year, if we use that many pitchers again, they've found no answers. Let's be honest.
2: I think that's fair. I think the, you hear the old proverb, uh, you know, of, of uh, he who chases two rabbits catches none. And they've had <laughs> to chase quite a few during the course of this series. If I'm looking at my numbers here, I think 34 different people have pitched at least, you know, to a batter in this right. season. That's that's insane. That's incredible. That's, that's absolutely insane. And now granted, a few of those guys are position players like John Nagowski Wilmer we you know, those guys are <laughs> right, exactly. So that's, that's one thing we're talking about here. But when you're talking, you know, 30 actual position pitchers and not counting the position guys, position players have had to come in and blowouts, usually 30 pitchers is still a really high number of guys. To oh, understand.
0: it's crazy. Now, so they said they wanted to do that in the first place. So right, I can give so them full transparency. This. I can right. give them it was a plan. If right. that's the plan next year, it doesn't matter. Yeah, have 11 starters because you're going to use them if, if that's the way you're going to handle them again. But if, if they're going to let them actually pitch a little more, five, six innings, they're going to have to make some pretty tough decisions. Max Cranick's a guy that's going to stall if, if they go and get a couple of veterans. So where's the trade-off for you where it's a bad idea to bring in guys versus keep going with the youngsters, come hell what may?
2: Here's what's weird about the situation because I'm one of those people that in a normal situation, yeah, you're going to bring in a veteran or two. If for no other reason, he's probably a reclamation project. He's probably a guy that's trying to find a gig the uh, along the Tyler Anderson uh, type of situation and Trevor Cahill, for that matter. They're trying to get that gig and maybe it leads to something else. And that's what the main, the main purpose is. You hope it's a win-win at best. But here's the thing. I'm glad you guys brought up Bryce Wilson, because as much as I am about giving the younger guys experience, Bryce Wilson has what four seasons of big league experience here and there having pitched in Atlanta. Yeah. Back and forth
0: 37 times.
2: Right. And he's pitched in the playoffs. This is a guy who pitched in a playoff game last year. Right. In in,
1: In a huge spot.
2: Right. In a big spot. He beats the Dodgers in a playoff game. So it's not like you know, he's some run of the mill guy. He's a younger guy who already has experience. Those are two things you can't find all the time when you're in the pirates position. And they got two in one shot right there.
0: Yeah, it's the first baseball trade they made.
2: Right. Under and this management group. And I thought that it was one of those things where, you know, they were trying to address the present while also addressing the future. And I actually liked that move in retrospect. A couple other guys I look at going into next season, I'm taking a really good look at Dylan Peters. I'm taking a really good look at a Miguel Yajure, because that's another one who actually uh-huh. has a small bit of major league experience, 23 years old. You wonder if he can find it and that machine can click back on again and maybe he starts to show that development to where you're ready to throw him out there to see if he sinks or swims. That's another name I'm looking at. So to add to that, you know, I don't know if he's a part of that 11 guys you're talking about. He is. Yeah, we're talking about nearly a dozen names. He's definitely one that floats out with me. To me, he's and up
0: here if he didn't get hurt this year. So. That's
2: true, and I agree with that. Now, at the same time, you mentioned Stephen Brought. You mentioned Mitch Keller. Honestly, if you're talking about having two guys that are veterans in that mix, maybe that's your two. Maybe those are the guys you're looking at because you're still trying to figure out what you have with them. So yeah, really. in, in, in terms of bringing in two veterans to maybe figure out what they have left in the tank, you're kind of trying to figure out what two guys you have in-house, what they have in the tank in Keller and Brawl. Now, I'm one of those people, and I'll probably get killed by the more traditional numbers group that looks at this, but I tell people all the time, you know, what you see from Mitch Keller is probably not what you would see center as paribus of all things are equal. This is a guy whose ERA is almost two points higher than his FIP. So you have to, and though some people, they're, they're not going to be able to associate that. It's not going to stand out to them. They're going to be like, Oh, FIP doesn't matter. And I'm like, okay, just go talk to a bunch of other organizations and make the same case, but bringing it all back together here when you're trying to assemble this group and trying to figure out which guy fits, this is one of the few times where I'm saying, you know what? Acquiring a veteran starter probably doesn't matter because you got a couple guys in your own camp that are veteran starters that have been around for a few years. And if you're Steven Brault, you're going to make about as much as they pay a veteran pitcher to come in here anyway. So why not figure out what you have with the group that you got? Now, if you have one of those rare, rare occasions where you have a guy that wants to come here really wants to have that opportunity if you're looking for one guy maybe from the outside one i'd entertain but i think anything more than two might be asking for trouble
0: yeah i think that's where i'm falling jim is i i don't think you can go out and try to remake this rotation like i don't think you can go out and buy a couple veterans right now realistically like jt brubaker is not a guy that can afford to go back to triple a he's going to be 29 next year we're got we're going into his second year of major league baseball next year realistically i mean i guess you can count 2020 but what do you do with him you don't want to force him out but it depends if you think now is super important then yeah i guess you do
1: yeah you look at um the position they're going to be in next year and trying to get anybody to come in here um that is is worth a darn and having to financially commit to them at this point, and I know fans don't want to hear that, is that prudent right now? My my answer to that is is no. It's it's just a tiny bit too early for that. You know, I, I think next year is going to be rough again. Um, I know everyone wants to talk about timelines and and whatnot, but I think we're going to be we're going to be struggling to find a lot of positives next year. The record may improve a little bit. But they're gonna have to just make do. I mean, maybe you get a Tyler Anderson back. I don't know how he how has he done? Do either of you know he's how done he's pretty done well? So he's been
2: okay in Seattle. He's been okay.
1: Right. So he may have priced himself back out of coming back to Pittsburgh next year. But that
0: doesn't mean you can't find another guy. And and I'll be blunt, the money means nothing to me right now. I don't I'm not saying that they shouldn't because it's it's a bad business move. There's no money they can spend that's a bad business move when their payroll's as low as it is. Right. To me, it's if you, you want to give yourself a little bit of steadiness. You want to give yourself a little bit of a shot that you're doing a little more than hoping for the prospect to turn out. You have to have an insurance policy or two. Maybe that is Stephen Brault. Maybe that is Bryce Wilson. Maybe that is enough. But if they're going to go out and get somebody else like a Tyler Anderson again, somebody along those lines, that's the type of thing that I think is going to, to help.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And here's here's the thing. And we're talking about baseball and pitchers and, and the free agent market. There's always a guy out there. There's sure. always an arm out there. There's always a pitcher, whether he's in his late 20s, early 30s, trying to figure things out. By I mean, the way, Tim
0: Wakefield could probably do it if he really wanted to. If
2: he felt like it, he could probably come back and still do it. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Jamie Moyer has got free time, you know what I mean? But, you know, from that from that perspective, there's a 30-year-old Shelby Miller in this team's bullpen. We're talking about Tyler Anderson, they they've all but reincarnated the ghost of Shelby Miller for that for all intents and purposes. So, if that's what we're talking about, then we've seen enough evidence of it already. But I say right. all that to say this: if you looked at the free agent market from 2020 going into 2021, There was one thing that was in common. If you looked at the list moving from top to bottom, the ages all started to skew in the same direction, especially with the pitchers. They were 29, 30, and older. Exactly. Because those those ages of pitchers on the free agent market, they're not getting younger. They're getting older. Because young arms are now becoming the commodity as opposed to old arms. If you could have a group of young starters, teams are trying to collect that kind of assortment. They're not trying to skew older as far as pitchers go. So there's always going to be a veteran pitcher in his late 20s, early 30s, trying to find himself a shot. I don't think finding that guy will be the issue. The Pirates have bigger issues. They've got a whole slew of guys between, you know, the the 4A guys, if you will, the back and forth between AAA and the majors, the AAA guys, some guys in A. They got to fit a whole slew of players into forty slots.
0: Listen to Segway, man, here because we're next. the is next the subject, subject, man. He is good, isn't he? The next this subject is. is state of the rebuild. So, yeah. I
2: mean, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, I, I hate to step in you guys' toes, but that's an even bigger issue here. You got to fit forty guys in by a certain point before you get to the Rule Five draft, and only a fraction of those guys are going to be pitchers.
0: All right. So, so before calm you even down. Get to that
2: point, you got to get to the forty man. Calm so
0: down. We'll take the break about a lot here. And when we come back, you can talk about how you're going to squeeze Yoshi Tsugo into the, into the roster, all right? I have to I, do that now. I know you want to, so oh, we, we got just got to gotta go. figure out how. Let's go ahead and no, take a quick break, though. Welcome back to Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of the rebuild. And I I wanted to take the opportunity of having Josh on because um, he's got a pretty intimate familiarity with with a lot of Ben Charrington's movements early on with Boston. He, He covered a lot of the Boston prospects, too. So I'm sure he can also talk to the rate that Ben's pulling players through the system as well. Um, see if it jives with what he's seen in the past. There's a lot of opinions about that out there but for me I, I would say my major takeaways so far are the system has definitely come along. That's good. I feel like he gets an A plus for that as far as how we're moving through the system. It's definitely improved. I'm a little weirded out by the way he's handled AAA just having almost nothing that you could pull up right away. I think that's kind of been a little bit short-sighted, actually. Um, and and I understand that's kind of the way baseball's trending. I just I, I don't necessarily care for it. And boy, did I hate the way they handled the pitching staff. And I understand some of it was COVID, but I actually think some of it is very much so wanting to be like the Tampa Bay Rays, and I do not like it. So <laughs> I just don't think you will ever, ever really get a solid, strong pitching staff in this market like that i really don't and jim how do you think i mean like where are you at on on what we've seen rebuild wise so far
1: yeah i mean takeaways I, i think the thing that even and and i won't speak for you guys because but we're we're pretty in tune to this team and kind of the direction they're trying to take and the approach that they're taking which is definitely the slow and steady approach but I think the biggest thing to me is even as someone that's plugged in, man, this has been, this has been rough sledding this year. Uh, You know, you knew it was going to be ugly and you knew, uh, you know, they were going to tear it down. And like you said before, take it down to the studs, but this has been rough. I mean, we, we have seen a lot of bad baseball and I don't know that, even though we all even said it, preached it, hey, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. It's gotten a lot worse. And um, so that, that sticks out to me. Um, I think when you look at the pitching in the organization, I, I'm, I, man, we are, we are really short on starting pitching. And that is something that takes a long time to develop and get the numbers that you want at the big league level, because you're going to have injuries. You guys, guys are going to blow out their arms. Guys aren't going to pan out. And to me, that sticks out. We still need more arms. And I know Sherrington's trying to address that, but we're only what really two, two years into this thing and um, follow the pitching. You've said that time and time again, follow the pitching, right? So hitting gets a lot of, a lot of the attention and the lack of power in the lineup and um, just not having enough guys to fill out that lineup by the looks of who we're putting in it, cleanup hitter and whatnot. But that's another thing that really stands out to me is we've got a long way to go with this starting pitching.
0: I mean, the, the hitting, as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, it's incredibly difficult to watch a Pirates team not be able to hit. That's what they were. I mean, the, the lumber company was a thing, but this team's hit throughout the years. Even when they stunk, they hit. That's what's been the most brutal for me to watch so far. But I mean, Josh, I'm going to throw it back to you because we're, we're talking about um, how brutal it's been to watch this year. But you watched
2: them do this in Boston. They well, I, bought I mean, I didn't. I didn't watch it per se. I mean, from afar. I did, a lot of, I did a lot of research on it. I paid a lot of attention to it. And part of this, and I have to be honest here, part of this was due to my own you know, personal work history. I ended up having to pay a lot of attention to what was going on in Boston because one of Ben Charrington's big first-round picks was Andrew Benintendi, whom I covered when he played in college at the University of Arkansas. So I paid a lot of attention to what Boston was doing as far as the draft and guys that were developing. And when I found out that the Red Sox had drafted Andrew Benintendi, I'm going, this is exactly what Ben Charrington wants because he wants a kid who can actually move up through the ranks quickly. And uh, Benintendi was a guy who matured so fast. So when I had that understanding of what was going on, plus I'd, I'd read a couple really good books in the past, one of them being Feeding the Monster, which I want to say is about maybe a 10-year-old book. But it really started with the very beginning of that period with John Henry and um, uh, the, that ownership group is basically taken over the Red Sox and then the hiring of Theo Epstein after Billy yeah. really Bean changed his mind and going on so on and so forth down the line. So you're probably pretty much talking from 2002 all the way through to 2006 maybe about how that all came about. So it was one of those things where I kind of had a few different things in mind. But saying all of that and knowing all of that history with, with what that group did a decade and a half ago, my three takeaways with this team right now and I heard Jim mention how Gary, your theories follow the pitching. My theory is kids in pitching. That's how yeah. a lot of, and this is not just Boston. This is the teams that are successful in baseball right now have all had this. They've all had the same two components: kids in pitching. By kids, I mean guys they've developed through the system that became part of their major league team after developing in their minor league system. And the second thing is pitching, whether it's homegrown or acquired through trades or through free agency or otherwise. So when you're looking at those two things, the way this organization brought in that much talent in like what, a two week span, Ben Charrington talked about it that right there after the trade deadline, he's like, look, between the 20 or some odd kids, we signed through the draft, all the, I think it was what, 12 guys they brought in, you know, just through trades at the trade deadline. He said, they brought in like what, 30, 35 players in the span of a week.
1: Yeah. It was a massive amount
2: that's 35 new bodies that they pretty much injected into this system in a week's time. That's insane. You know, that's something that if you saw, if you were able to bring Branch Rickey back to life, he'd probably have the biggest Montgomery Burns grin ever.
0: He's just like, (laughs) Oh my
2: God, look at all this talent bringing in. He's just like, excellent. That's what he'd be thinking. But for me, that kind of infusion of talent is part of the process. So now you've brought all these This – brought this big group of kids in because let's be fair about this. Ben Charrington, his, this is his first full draft class. He was supposed right. to have it last year. That fell apart. So he had, what, five rounds to pick from? Yeah. This time he has a full draft class to use, and that actually is a 2 his advantage now. But the fact that they're willing to bring in all this talent to reload everything is something I take away from, and that's a big positive. However, the pitching side of it, I'm with you guys. Where is it? Have we found exactly what we can, you know, maybe tether uh, uh, some some hope to and see it grow above maybe Altoona? Nope. Above that is it maybe Miguel Yajure? Is he one of the few guys that you're like you feel promising about that's in that group? Because other than that, you're looking at Altuna, you're looking at Greensboro. That's where your hope is really attached to, and that's what we're talking two three years off, and we already know this fan base can't wait that long. But
1: I was anyway, just I was just gonna say that
2: whether they need to or not, whether they're going to get what they want. I keep telling people, I keep telling people, you're not going to get what you want. So either you wait or you sit there and lose your mind because you're not going to get it the way you want it. It's going to take time.
1: That sounds like a good, a good pirate slogan. You're not going to get what you want. You're not going to get what you want. Maybe for season ticket plans. It sounds
0: like something a new dad says too before he's experienced <laughs> his kid begging
2: for stuff. And this <laughs> I, I heard that quite a bit from my dad being the youngest of four. So maybe that's maybe there's a little childhood trauma tied up in there. <laughs> but that's my second takeaway. It's like, where's the pitching now, and how far away is it from really manifesting itself?
0: Well, let me ask you something about that point because are you at all concerned that? the pitching is going to lag behind the hitting so that this window will never line up.
2: That's, that's been my the, concern. That's been really a symptom of this organization for the last decade and a half or so, because if you really want to, if you really want to look back, there were times when they had hitting and didn't have pitching. And there were times when they had pitching and didn't really have a lot of offense. And even during that period when this team was actually in contention and making three straight, uh, three straight wild card games in one division series. There were ebbs and flows where the pitching was strong and the offense wasn't there, or the offense was strong and the pitching wasn't there, or maybe the starting rotation was good, but the bullpen wasn't, or the bullpen was good and the rotation wasn't. It seems like they've never all aligned at the same time. You never had the planets lined up, and that's one of those things that you're going to run into at times because it's never going to be the ideal the way you want it. There are very few teams that have been able to do it that way, and I'll point back to Atlanta. I'll point back to Houston. I'll point back to Boston. they are a few of the few, a few of the the small group Tampa seems to be always in that group where it seems like they've always got a guy here. Another team that I hate to make, bring up because people look right at the payroll and don't look at the development is St. Louis for some odd reason. And we've seen this up close as pirate fans. Yes, we have St. Louis always has a guy. Yep. Somebody gets hurt. Someone's out for this season. They bring some kid in from Memphis and he comes right in. You think he's been there four years. There's Think about it. Think about the Matt Carpenters and the yep. Yadier Molinas of the world. Now, granted, Yadier Molina has been around a long time. But there's some of us are like, Yadier Molina, Carpenter, these guys are what, 50? How long have they been here? They feel like they've been that, that college football player that's been there for umpteen thousand years. That's how you feel sometimes. You feel like that's that six-year senior had a couple injury exemptions. But they've always got a guy who can come in and step in and perform and actually you know, deliver to at least the expected the expected output. So yeah, they're also smart about it the
0: They're also right. smart about onboarding them. Like, for instance, yes. Tommy Edmund is the replacement for Carpenter. Now they knew Carpenter was getting old, but instead of just shipping Carpenter off or cutting ties with him or whatever, they let him ride the bench for the better part of two years while Edmund is becoming Edmund. So they don't just bring him up and expect him to make it. And oh, let's get rid of that payroll as quick as we can. They hold on to him. And yeah, maybe they, that's they because time they of that payroll. But at the same time, that, that age comes wisdom. And <laughs> it comes with a little bit less pressure for those rookies. And it's, it's just a never-ending chain that they create in St. Louis. And they may not develop everything that they, that they bring to the table.
2: But once they do, they hold on to it. And yeah. Carpenter was one of those guys. You know, yep. when Matt Carpenter first came up, he wasn't a household name immediately. And Matt Carpenter played, what, four or five different positions? Until yep. they finally found and, But here's the thing. When he started to hit more consistently, they found a place for him. And that place right. even changed from time to time. And that's one of those things that I, I kind of point out to people. I'm going, you know, you're looking at what they're spending, but you're not looking at what they're doing. Yeah, right. You're not looking at, you know, how these guys became who they were. I tell people all the time, I'm like, Roberto Clemente was born Roberto Clemente but he wasn't Roberto Clemente star baseball player after, after, first of all, the pirates found him in the rule five draft. and kind of snuck him away from Brooklyn because they were kind of stashing him in the minor leagues, hoping to use him later on. So they, of course, you know, branch Ricky being who he was, you know, snuck him away from Brooklyn. Then he developed into the player that he was. And then he became the legendary player that we remember. It didn't just happen overnight. Some of these things take time. And, That's kind of how I feel when I watch how this organization is trying to do that. And even still, they're still not at the level other people are that other organizations are because they have talent top to bottom. The pirates aren't there yet. They haven't got to the point where that I'm waiting to see when that Greensboro group finally gets to Indianapolis, not when they get to Pittsburgh, when they get to Indy, I want to see what happens when, or maybe even some of that group in Altoona when they get to Indy, what's it going to look like below them then we'll have a better understanding of what they've really done over these past two or three years yeah because then, because then you're the talking about
0: then you're talking about more of a sustainable rebuild right. as opposed to a window you know we you, keep talking about this window when's it open when's it open I mean I do believe what I'm seeing being constructed right now is something that they believe isn't going to have to close yeah it's a long going to term be able to keep Pushing back into it, right? That's right. the but,
2: ideal. That's that's what is essentially what the, essentially what what the
1: Cardinals are doing. doing.
2: That's, that's what the idea. Cardinals have been doing. Yes. That's what Atlanta did for two decades. The point is not to just have a window because I keep people like, what happens when this window opens or when it closes? The point's not to have a window. The point is to have an entire back deck that does not have any covering over it, that exactly. has no restrictions. You want to make yourself totally self sustaining, which was Theo Epstein's vision in 2005. Right. And he banged the table for this vision of, look, we want to become an Uber organization. We don't want to rely on just how much money we have in our pocket. We want to rely on our ability to acquire talent, develop it, and then when the time comes, pay them to stay as opposed to luring a bunch of guys and paying them to come here. You know, exactly. they wanted free agency as a last resort to maybe fill a hole, not build an entire nucleus. And once you saw that happen, it started to stretch out. There's a reason why Andrew Friedman's in LA now and not still in Tampa. Can we agree yeah. on this?
0: Yeah, I, I think I, we can.
2: I, I made it. I made a tweet about this recently because the Dodgers started an opener three straight games. I'm like, hmm. I wonder where they got that idea. Why would a team <laughs> like the Dodgers need to use an opener? Oh wait, they have Andrew Friedman. So I keep hearing people here and say, oh, well, oh, you got to spend a bunch of money to win. Then why did they need Andrew Friedman? Well, makes you ask the question, right? And so it, it does become the issue of can you find the model of a Tampa, of a Boston 10 years ago, of an Oakland, to find a way to make yourself self-sustainable over time. And if you can do that, then you're in a, a bigger position. But the problem is, those organizations had a patient approach to it. Even guys within right. their own organizations didn't want to hear it. Boston didn't want to hear what Theo Epstein wanted to do in 2006. But they let him do it in the 2007 they won the World Series.
0: Right. Nobody it, wants you, to hear what he wants to do now.
2: No one wants so, to hear what no. Benjamin <laughs> wants to do now. They didn't no. want to hear what Theo Epstein wanted to do 15 years ago. And the thing is, I'll I'll say it again. You're not going to get what you want the way you want it. You're going to have to get it the best way you can get it. Beggars can't be choosers at this point. We can't expect a a team like this and an organization in this position to do it the way everybody else is doing and expect success when they're not in the same starting position, which gets to the third takeaway. It took me a while to get to this one. But Ben Charrington is willing to break some eggs. I think we've seen that throughout the course of the season. We've talked about the pitching and different guys that have come in and out, position players. He is willing to break some eggs to make this omelet. And that's the one thing you have, to, you have to do in that position. I keep getting a lot of questions. Why Cole Tucker? And I'm sitting there going, why not Cole Tucker? He's on your 40-man roster. He can't do much else in AAA. What else is he going to do that he hasn't done? What is he going to learn that he hasn't learned? He's a former first-round pick. You bring him up and see what you have. If he actually does, if he's one of the colonels that pops, great. If he's not, make him a trade chip. Find a place that will take him because I have a theory. Never, never underestimate a team's ability to think they can fix a guy.
0: Yeah, Colt Tucker. Somebody's out guy. there willing to think they can fix Cole Tucker. <laughs> Cole Tucker so is a you guy can't they fix have him to here, make a decision on. So,
2: right. You have you have to make the decision eventually. So either you can fix him here or you find someone else that can fix him somewhere else. Either way, figure out what you have first before you have to make that decision. Well, so, and that's, yeah. that's
1: that's the fear with the pitching, right? And that's right. why people are you know talking about DFA Keller. And I'm thinking that's what, what gets yeah I mean that's what gets people fired because you DFA a uh, Mitch Keller there's 15 20 25 teams lining up to take Mitch Keller just to, what Josh was speaking to which is they think they can fix him and you know what sometimes it happens and you don't yeah. want to be the team that lets a guy like that go
0: yeah or you don't give uh, Max Kranich a chance and somebody wants that 97 mile an hour fastball and Good breaking stuff, and they're willing to take the time to teach him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's
2: bad enough, this is the organization that traded Garrett Cole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: they've already got that stigma hanging over them. Now, granted, it wasn't Ben Charrington. He wasn't here yet.
0: But oh, that's I think the he traded him too. About.
2: And this is also the organization that, you know, a decade before that traded for Matt Morris.
0: No, but you're, I mean, you've watched it's, this team long enough. Garrett Cole uh, wasn't going to stay here. I don't care. Well, don't he care didn't want there. to stay here. That was the
2: issue. He didn't it wouldn't have
0: mattered if he did. $300 million is never coming out of this franchise. That's,
2: and that's that's the ultimate truth that people just don't want to accept. They want to accept it and they're angry about it, but it's just, once again, you're not going to get what you want the way you want it. Well, I don't, but it I all don't comes care
0: if, if Billy Gardell and every Hollywood star from Pittsburgh joined together and bought the Pirates. They're not signing a $300 million player.
2: Michael Keaton can come back in the Batman suit and it, holding someone over at the edge of a building. And it's he's got about as good a
0: shot leaders. of getting back
1: in that suit. as I, I actually do. wouldn't mind seeing so. that. If we could some, Josh, if you can arrange that, that'd be great.
2: <laughs> you and me both. i am actually kind of curious myself, but you know, to, to get to the larger point here, it does come down to for, for the pirates to even move in the direction of trying to turn this organization around. They cannot be the team that makes the easy mistake. If that right. makes sense. You can't do Definitely something like, oh, okay, well, that just seems like the easy thing to do instead of trying to take the longer view, measuring four or five times before you cut, you know, you hear the term measure six times, cut once, maybe not measured six times with three or four and going to kill you. Cause how much worse can things get right now? Right. It's so like why Diego, not figure it out now? While Diego
0: Castillo is a good example, right? The reason that he was available in trade is because the Yankees knew they had to make a big decision on him. He's going to be a, a minor league free agent next year. If he's not on the 40 man, you, you have to promote him quickly. He was in there double A, so it's not like he was anywhere close to coming up. That position's kind of not ready for anybody to come up in the Yankee system. The pirates, they look at that. They say, Hey, we could accelerate him through our system. If we want, if he takes off, we'll make a quick decision on him. He's probably worth a 40 man spot, right? So they get basically free talent. And, and, I think that's that's the kind of things that I like that Ben Sherrington's doing. I would like to see a little bit more competent bullpen help brought in, something to make the team just feel a little bit more like they're making progress on paper. Because I do think next year, everything we said taken into account, I don't think they'll be good next year, but I think next year starts to look fun because i think a lot of the guys that are in the curve right now will be in the indians next year and then they'll be up here at some point towards the end of the year or we're thinking about them because they're on the doorstep right now there's no one on the doorstep there's marcano he hasn't worked out yet you know there's yuhurey he was injured most of the year there's contreras he's been injured for a decent stretch there's cruz he's been injured there's been injured
2: that's another thing. There's been a really ridiculous rash of injuries just with the minor league players alone. I remember when I don't I don't think it was two years ago, it might have been three seasons ago, where it just seems like every arm within earshot was hurt. Like it just they yeah. had this, they just had this merry-go round of injured pitchers. You turned around, okay, bring this guy up, and That guy got hurt. And this guy got it's, hurt. The it's rotation been, was just it's been was a large mash yeah.
1: yeah.
0: This year they've done a good job of not getting injured.
1: Truthfully, but it's they're been, also not pitching them. It's been so, an issue around baseball too, yeah. truthfully. But, hey, guys,
0: great first episode. Super super stoked about how it went and everything. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. And, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you give yourself a quick plug, let people know where they can catch you yapping about sports.
2: Uh, where do I start? Okay, first things first, weekends, KDK-TV or online at CBSN in Pittsburgh. Um, as far as radio goes, usually on Sunday mornings, 93.7 The Fan, uh, also, Sunday Morning Ground Podcast, myself and Greg Finley, and then on social media, Josh Taylor HD. That's Facebook, that's Twitter, that's Instagram. More often than not, you're probably going to find me on Twitter the most. So there's that too. And yeah, we'll limit it to that for now because if I find any other resources, I might be talking all night. So we'll leave. We'll limit it to that for the time being.
0: Jim, he's our contemporary, and here's this guy using
2: Instagram.
1: Right.
0: I I haven't done it. I got
1: to get with the program. I'm I'll, to I'll be honest.
2: Mine is mostly food, uh, pictures of my dog, and pictures of the kid. So that's that's pretty much it. There's it, not a lot of sports-related content on my Instagram page.
0: And uh, Jim and I, we don't have to read our Twitter handles, really. They're right down below if you're watching this on YouTube. But I think we probably will anyway for our podcast listeners. Um, Protection you can always,
2: value, baby. You can always catch me on
0: Twitter at GaryMO2007 or Jim at...
1: It is at JimStam22 or for the city underscore four one two. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to you guys on Twitter. Remember, this show is really for the fans, and um, we love hearing from you. If you've got a comment on YouTube, subscribe, leave us a comment. We might make it on the show. And uh, man, this has been fun. And uh, Josh, let's do it again sometime.
2: Guys, give me a call. Give me a when and where, and I'm there
0: will do brother hey don't forget smash that subscribe button a little bit for
2: us and uh
0: you can follow us on twitter also at pirates fan forum which i forgot I that's right at, at dk's behest so hey and one more time shout out thank you so much day for the opportunity we're really happy to be here and uh it's gonna be fun let's go bucks